Hello and welcome to Men or Nuts, podcasts to do with mental health, emotional health, awareness and well-being. This is Men or Nuts, M-A-N, acronym Men or Nuts. And we have a special guest on today, a very special guest. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Sean Burridge. Um, I'm a police constable with Surrey Police here in the UK. Thank, thank you. So we've got a, you've got a police officer from the UK. So you say you're in Surrey. What's the weather like there? Yeah, that's correct. What's the weather like there? Um, it's it's not too bad. I think uh, certainly on the car dashboard earlier on when I was out and about, it's it's pushed up to double figures. So uh, nice clear sky and uh, quite sunny as well at the moment. Really? So yeah, yesterday, yeah. Yesterday I, I was speaking to someone and they said it was it was two. It was like, and I was like, what? <laughs> it's freezing. Yeah. They say it's oh, freaking yeah. ice off the screen, windscreen and all sorts. Yeah. It's, um, it's certainly, you can see the signs of spring coming. Really? Really? So uh, tell us about a little bit about, you know, yourself and, you know, you know, how you, how, how, you know, what's your thoughts on in the podcast and, you know, are you, you know, what's your thoughts? I think the podcast is brilliant. Um, uh, you know, anything that breaks the uh, stigma of mental health is uh, well, can only be a plus. Yeah, definitely. So, how long, in terms of being in the police force, when did you start? And and just you know, talk us about a bit about a bit a little bit about mental health and and how what you've come across to do with men in in your role, um, whether it be out on the streets or with even within your your own kind of constabulary. Um, I've been in the police now for 24 years. Uh, started off as a special constable, uh, doing it voluntary for four years, and enjoyed it so much. I became a police officer full time uh, in 1999. Yeah. Um, it's it's a brilliant role. I wouldn't change it for anything. It uh, offers so much variety uh, as a job, and obviously satisfaction by helping victims of crime and members of the public in their their hour of need. Um, <clears throat> but the problem within the service is is mental health and um, you know the officers suffering from mental health. Really. Um, back in 2015, I was in a car accident and uh, that led to um, being diagnosed with PTSD afterwards. And it's been a bit of a struggle and uphill journey trying to trying to get the support I need. Uh, thankfully, I have got it. Um, but PTSD for me, certainly when I uh, was diagnosed with it, took a, a few months to sink in because you you think of PTSD as something that service personnel suffer after seeing their colleagues and friends being injured in battle. Yeah. Uh, not not something that someone on mainland Britain, you know, gets whilst being at home, as it were. Um so yeah, it took it took a while to sort of sink in and and work out, you know, what what exactly PTSD was. Um, and I was I was quite well supported by work with the treatment and that. Um, had trauma therapy, and I'm, I'm mainly over it now. But I've tried to turn my my negative experience into a positive by you know trying to get the stigma broken within the police service. Um, People see police officers as the people who run, to, run into danger when everyone else is, is running out and all else has failed. 
Um, the problem with that is you join the job to help people, you don't join the job to expect to be helped. So when you do feel that hour of need has come and you, you require help from people for your mental health, it's a tough obstacle to overcome. Yeah. So in a sense then, let's, 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 let's take you back to your, was, was being in the police force something that you always wanted, you know, from a child or from a young boy? Was that what you always wanted to do or was it a change of career? What, 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 how did you manage to I, get from there? I, I, from the age of probably about two or three, I always wanted to be a firefighter. Yeah. Uh, my dad was with Surrey Fire and Rescue and um, I aspired to be like him. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I don't know, I, I joined the specials to put something back into my community, as corny as it sounds. Yeah. Um, and I just enjoyed it so much and got so much satisfaction from it that that was the direction my career took. Yeah. So is it something, so, so from then on, from that, from being in the specials, you, you, you enjoyed it so much that you, you went on to, to yeah. other parts of the job. Yeah, um, uh, I mean, my parents had sort of gave me all the, the, the friendly advice, like, you know, if you join the police, you've got to be prepared to be the nasty one that turns up and gives the bad news and all that, where if you're a firefighter, whatever you do, you're pretty much seen as, seen as being a hero. Um, but <clears throat> I looked at all the pros and cons, and actually being a police officer, I knew I'd be busy from the start of my shift to the end of it. Um, and it would offer a wide variety of work. Yeah, what's interesting about this is that maybe a couple of weeks ago, I looked, it's funny enough you're saying this, I looked at police officers and I I thought, wait a minute, they're the ones that give the, like you just said, they're the ones that give the, the, they're the ones that give the bad news. You know, know, they're the ones that give the bad news. And I almost said it to myself, I almost said to myself, they must have to be quite, um, because I think I was watching a program. It was an American one, and where that someone had been shot, and and the person had the and it was on live, not live, but it was a TV program. And they went to speak to um, the the mum and let the mum. I think the mum must have been out on the street or something like that. And he he actually said, you know, told her that you know that night that his, his son had died. So and I looked and thought, oh, police officers. They must be tough, and I'm sure that's that's how the public the public see the police officers and don't see this other side. That what it, what does that do? Those things harden police officers, or in and what happens mentally? Well, they they, they we, people normally only see the police in their darkest hour, whether they're a victim of crime, their relatives died, and we've had to pass a death message from that. So <clears throat> we we. We do become hardened to it to a certain extent, but uh, it's been described to me by someone in mental health as like piling up pennies. You can only pile up pennies so high and then they tip over. Um, And and I I think it's a great way to describe it because certainly over my my service, I've done death messages, seen dead bodies. Um, There's not much I haven't done. Um, But when you pile up all those incidents, it, 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 you're gonna tip over at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've also heard, also heard it described that a normal member of the public, um, on average, um, goes through a three traumatic experiences within their lifetime. Police officers deal with four to six hundred in theirs. 
So it's inevitable at some point you're yeah, going to definitely. fall over. Yeah. And when I say when I say hardened, it's almost like when I say hardened, I don't, and, and I don't mean it in the sense of hardened and as callous. I mean almost like they almost they almost have to put up a a, a, a kind of a barrier. Yeah, a barrier or, or a, a sort of a, a non-emotional, not non-emotional, but a, a wall there, like you say, a barrier. Because um, obviously they've got to show compassion and and so I'm sure at some point, like you said, it and I'm sure it must affect police officers, even if it's not their child or whatever to see, um, therefore, you know, something that's happened to, to someone. I mean, what's your take on that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I personally have the view of personal contact. If you have personal contact with someone um, and in a traumatic situation, whether it's giving first aid, CPR, um, you've spoken to them previously, things like that, that's when it effectively uh, grabs hold of you and works its way into your emotions. Yeah. Um, I remember. <clears throat> I remember at one point I did CPR on a 14-year-old who'd uh, accidentally sort of taken his own life, um, and I was fine throughout the night. I remained focused. I did my job. I got home, and when I went upstairs to bed, just as my wife was waking up, um, the first words came out of her mouth were, "Did you have a good night?" And at that point, it hit me like a brick wall, and I was crying for about an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. Uh, up until that point it hadn't affected me but the minute you know somebody actually specifically asked him you know had I had a good night that's when it hit me and I think that's what people don't appreciate is we may have just turned up to your burglary or stopped you for you know running a red light but you don't know what we've dealt with the rest of our shift so if we're you know a little bit sad if you want um, or, or slightly short-tempered, then it, it, it's not the way we are. It's what we've dealt with um, that needs to be sort of taken into consideration. Yeah, it's almost seen that uh, being, you know, a police officer. It's almost like he's seen as the the anti-hero. Um, yeah. In a sense of, you know, you're, you're this you're this figurehead of the community. Um, there's not enough of you, and there's not enough this and. You almost like the figure of the figurehead of the community, which you you know, I think back in the day there was obviously more 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 of you on the beat, or more of you on the yeah. streets in a sense, um, and that's kind of been taken away. But oh, as that's as that's happened, I'm noticing and as that's happened, there's more things, more things happening, and there's probably more, I don't know if you know if you sense that the, the you know what through your work is that. There's a lot more things going off in the last maybe five, ten years since since it's been kind of there's less of you or less of you on the streets, and then so then your call outs are probably more dramatic and, and traumatic. I don't know what you think about that. Obviously, austerity has had a massive impact on uh, police numbers, and with the lack of visual uh, visible police. Um, then clearly people think they can get away with stuff that yeah. they normally wouldn't have. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not an expert in crime figures, so I couldn't yeah. say whether crime's increased or not, although yeah. the general consensus by the media is that yeah, crime yeah. has increased. Yeah. Um, 
and I, I can also speak for colleagues who I, I regularly sort of see their workloads and stuff, and and they're they're, they're investigating twenty twenty five crimes at a time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's as well as responding and uh, apparently trying to be proactive, which there's very little time for. Yeah. yeah. Um. Um. I mean, my wife, who currently works for um, Hampshire Police, um, is off sick because, um, well, in CID, she she just had too many crimes to investigate and no time to do it. Yeah. So yeah. So um, in a sense, then, in a sense, then, what's happening is the the job is becoming a lot more stressful, a lot more stressful, and a lot more um, because you're not in in. I, I, I suppose it goes with that thing of if because you're not not you in particular but because you're not in the community as such and walking around and, and talking to the neighbors yeah. and you become like I say this this kind of this villain of the piece or anti-hero um, so then your your mental health is affected because then you end up doing more paperwork and then you have to call get called out for these things so in a sense what can you talk can you talk about um, the very I don't, you know, maybe you could talk about something like that, but the very first, the very first, maybe tra- tra- not a traumatic experience, but the, the thing that might may have caused um, you to kind of maybe even question being in the police force or, you know, human life or whatever. Um, if I'm honest, I can't remember the first traumatic incident I went to um, in the police. I can remember the one that sticks out to me most traumatic event in my life up to my sort of first week was um, I found a bloke who'd hung himself yeah um, and I was 16 I was uh, it was um, I was off just about to take my GCSEs and um, my dad uh, was setting up a training exercise for the fire rescue service in um, in Woking area yeah. and um, I went with him and it was an old hospital and we'd set up the training exercise and as we were driving out I saw this person hanging from um, staircase to the back of the building right. and even now to this day I can picture it perfectly um, and <clears throat> I, I, I guess that sort of stayed with me throughout my service. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, that that was traumatic, and I, I basically for two weeks after that just shut down. I didn't speak to anyone. Um, I, 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 yeah, I just isolated myself from people um, for two weeks, and um, I spoke to a guy who was a serving PC at the time. And he said, if you, if you don't want to talk about it, write down your feelings. Yeah. And he said, but once you've done it, don't show anyone, just burn them, but watch them burn. Yeah. Um, and it was surprising how efficient and effective that was in, in sort of getting me back on the, um, the road to recovery, as it yeah. were. So, and then you hit upon a point there, and I, and, and I was kind of trying, and I was kind of not, I was trying to, I was going to, you know, when I start asking the question, I thought, is going to say something about talking because I'm, de- I'm definitely noticed the theme of of emotional health and mental health in in, in men and young men and boys that is the you know you know I can't keep saying this enough that about talking you know you said somebody spoke to you you talked to someone you managed to get in a sense that's kind of a thing of getting help 
Well, it always makes me smile when people say about talking. So it always takes me back to the late 80s, early 90s with Bob Hoskins doing a BT advert of It's Good to Talk. Yeah. And I I must say, it's almost like he knew what was coming up later on in life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But yeah, talking is talking is absolutely key. But also just as important as listening. The um, number of people that walk past you and go, You're right and keep walking. Just pause if you do that when you ask that question because the way people say it when they walk past would send a message to someone who's suffering from any kind of mental health condition yeah. they would send a message actually I don't really care I'm just asking because I can yeah. where if you pause when you say are you alright it shows you're actually interested yeah, and that yeah. could be one opportunity that day that someone feels they can actually open up yeah definitely definitely so you know and we've moved, we're moving forward now until now, until this point of you said you you mentioned um, to me before when we were speaking about the the moment you had you, you kind of you you felt you were going through stress and and you, and you end up being diagnosed with PTSD. Tell me tell me about that. You know you, you said you spoke you you was getting angry at, um, and things like that. Yeah, um, <clears throat> so my accident was in the May of 2015. Yeah, uh, spent three days in hospital and then I had to go to my parents' house uh, for a week because I was on crutches and couldn't get up the stairs in my house and they live in the bungalow. Yeah. Um, so I I was already from the moment of trauma, um, sort of away from my family, my direct family, as it were. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> it was about three days after I'd sort of come back home that my my eldest son who would have been about six at the time uh, said to me he doesn't want me to be a policeman anymore because he doesn't like seeing me hurt which uh, broke my heart yeah yeah um I love my job. He loved the fact that Daddy was a policeman and I'd been to his school to give the people who help us talk and all that. Yeah. And so hearing him say that just crushed me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and um, I mean, even now I'm in pain on, on days. You know, my back is still under investigation and, and trying to get that sorted. Yeah. Um, so I do have you know, moody days, if you like. Yeah. Um, the combination of pain and the mental health sort of side of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I died, I'd be um, starting arguments with my wife over the smallest insignificant thing. Uh, be shouting at the kids one minute and then just totally ignoring the whole world the next. Um, I didn't want to go into any social situations. We had, um, you know, parties or barbecues or anything like that because people would ask me what happened. And, um, yeah, so then I um, I got hold of our occupational health um, people and spoke to them and they referred me to our force psychologist who, um, who gave me a uh, sort of uh, a question and answer session and diagnosed me. Um, the trauma therapy lasted 12 sessions probably about 45 minutes of every hour I had with her I was crying yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was it was massively draining uh, the the unfortunate thing is that if you're having trauma therapy work still expect you to come in even if it's just for a couple of hours um, so it's not classed as a sick day but to be honest, I mean, it is so draining. I, I struggled some days to even go to work after it because yeah. you know, when you 
when you get emotionally drained, um, it can actually be more tiring than yes. if you've just done a marathon or whatever. It definitely, it definitely is. I'll, I'll vouch for that note 100%. And trust me, I'm not a marathon runner. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I mean, work has been mainly supportive um, uh, in on the whole. Um, but as I say, it's one of those ones that there can never be enough education on mental health because I still don't think many people understand it. There is a stigma attached to it. Um, and it's just something that is going to take time to actually address. Yeah. So have you found... Have you found out... Have you found then now, now that... Because you mentioned earlier as well that... Um, more and more people in the police force it's starting to happen to more and more pe- people in the police force that are suffering with mental health issues or is it, was it suicide um, or something you said something was it suicide you mentioned or something like that something happened you said with police and what's happening yeah because I've been um, trying to sort of break the stigma I've done quite a lot of research in police figures and stuff yeah um, the average number of police officers suicides a year is 27 wow um, yeah 27 a year in the UK alone um, there's the states um, figures are through the ceiling, right? Um, and majority of them are men between sort of 25 to 45. Um, it, it's it, the figures are quite well broken down, and it's actually quite frightening because even myself, uh, you know, I'm in that that group, as it were. Yeah. yeah. Um, but thankfully, I, I can talk. I do talk, probably a little too much sometimes. No, no. Um, but yeah, it's it's just getting people to understand that you know you need to talk. Yeah. You can't bottle these things up. You know, you can't if you can't sort it on your own. There's people that can help. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and do you feel that you have? Um, there's there's two folds. This you. I'm going to ask two questions in a sense. You, you you feel that you have a good support in terms of your family, a family, good family unit around you. But then also, do you, do you, uh, you mentioned earlier as well that um, there's still not enough, um, not support, but yeah, support or awareness in within the forces of what, uh, of mental health and emotional health. I think the biggest problem, um, sorry, answer your questions in order. The first one, yes, my family unit is is tip top. Uh, got massive support at home. Um, the, you know, that network's fine. With regards to work, I think the biggest problem we've got is the... Uh, the canteen culture we used to have. Um, now, with political correctness and that, it's... It was deemed inappropriate, yeah. but for us, <clears throat> I think that was our outlet. Yeah, you know, no, there were no. inappropriate, sort of um, dark humoured uh, ways of venting out your, your emotions and stuff. Right. And I think in day and age of, uh, of political correctness and and austerity, because we haven't got many canteens, uh, we used to have police bars. Um, which after a late shift, you'd go and have a beer or a Coke and sit with your shift and talk about what happened. Um, now, an officer is lucky if when they get back to the station, the rest of their shift are actually still on duty. Yeah. So <clears throat> they get back, they do what they need to, they go home. They get home about two o'clock in the morning and all the family are asleep in bed. So they go to bed, they get up late because they've gone to bed late and the family have gone to school and work. 
and then they go back and do it all again. Yeah. And it's the, you know, piling up the pennies without actually getting an opportunity to take any off the pile by offloading your emotions. Yeah, definitely. So I think it's something that is, at the moment, still breeding because there's no solution that's been come up with. Yeah. So would you, would you, who, who would you say, in a sense, that part of things is t- you, that 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 your thoughts are targeted. You know, is it is it the, the people that the, you know the the government or how how what change would you like to see in terms of um, the forces and and just mental health and and all these things you know the things that are around it. Um, I certainly think one of the issues in this day and age is double crewing. Um, not so much from the I want someone to hold my hand when I go into a fight. But from the point of view that if you turn up to an incident like a hanging or or a suicide or anything like that, you have no um, no way of venting off in this day and age. Where at least if you're double crewed, you can talk about it with your colleague or cry or whatever you want to do yeah. to get it out of your system. You don't get that at all now, and with the fact that you don't get the the camaraderie after the shift in a bar or a canteen or whatever, it's it's only manifesting itself. Yeah. So just just to let, let the viewers, let the listeners know, what is double crewed? I know what it is, but let let them know what. That so is. so two police two police officers in the same vehicle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now nowadays, to make it um, well to be able to cover all the the calls and demand, um, most officers are solo crewed. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, right, okay. So um, you you don't get anyone to talk to, um, and I think that's part of the the current day problems with mental health. Yeah, yeah. They're right. They're on their own. For is it is it quite a long shift as well? Um, well, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> so a typical late shift would start about three o'clock in the afternoon. You'd have a briefing, and then you'd go out sort of twenty past half past three. You'd be expected to stay out until ten ten fifteen ten thirty, where you come back and hand the keys to night turn. Night turn are normally double crews. Because obviously at night a lot more people come out. Yeah, um, safety and safety. Get, yeah, so they they double crew on nights, but normally during the day officers solo crewed. Right. Okay. Yeah. So in a sense, of your journey, and and how how are you feeling now? You know, you, you said you you kind of you're managing it, or oh, how how do you feel yeah. now with it? I'm I'm turning my negative into a positive. Yeah. Um, I. Um, if I uh, deal, uh, deal with members of the public uh, in a vulnerable state, um, I now let them know that I've been there. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, hide behind my uniform. I just say to them, "Look, I know where you are. I've I've been there." Um, and I find that actually, it's a tool that people that haven't had mental health issues haven't got. So my toolbox has actually got more more um, tools in it than somebody who's not suffered mental health. Yeah, I try to turn my, my negative experience into a positive by educating people and reaching out to people. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I'm feeling good at the moment. Yeah, so in a sense that when you when you go out, like you said, because you've suffered it or you're, you've gone through it or you you can when you let someone know it almost like it's almost like you're letting that kind of that guard down and you, you you're letting them almost come 
sort of like trust you because you're wearing a yeah. uniform and all that sort of stuff. And even if you're not wearing a uniform, you, you, it's like, oh, this person's a police officer. And you say it and then it's almost like, oh, all right, okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. And it, it's like uh, I'm also a, um, a Cub Scout leader. Brilliant. And, um, uh, you know, in the past I've um, I've given talk on police and taken my, um, my uniform stuff in. Yeah. And uh, they're like, oh, we didn't know you were a police officer. And I do that for two reasons. Firstly, to show that actually you knew me before you knew I was a police officer. So hopefully you, you, you know, don't assume I'm one, one of the people in society that just gives you bad news and comes and arrests you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and also because they you know they're aware that I've had my mental health issues in the past. Yeah. Um, and again, it shows that actually I'm just a person. Yeah. Uh, the uniform second, where so many people see the uniform and don't think about anyone being a person when they're in uniform. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So in, in closing, then what I would like you to sort of tell tell the listeners out there, you know, you're a police officer. Your your kind of thoughts on the mental health and and how what we should do as as maybe as members of the public or just even as men, what 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 can we do or what what can we do to help each other? Um, well, but I mean, basically, the most important things talk. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's like being an alcoholic. You've got to accept there's a problem before you can you can get the help. Um, <clears throat> there's no stigma, uh, you know, attached to mental health anymore. It, it, it used to be, uh, you know, the old, oh, I suffer depression and people thinking you're nuts. Yeah. Um, but it's gone. That's that's back. You know, that's last century type stuff. Yeah. Um, now it takes a stronger person to accept there's a problem and get it sorted yeah. than it does to hide it. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, just just keep talking. Um, and as I say, from my point of view, uh, I may wear a uniform and, and you know help when you're you're in your time of need. But at the end of the day, I come home, I take my uniform off. I've got three sons, I've got a wife, and I'm just a dad. Brilliant, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I'm sure your sons are you know your sons are very you know are very proud of you and and for what you've done and what you've achieved. Um, and, you know, I'd like to thank you for being, you know, for coming on here and, and speaking, speaking so um, openly about the things that you've been through and, and, and what you're going through. And, you know, in a sense, I'm going to I'm going to ask you one more question. What you know, what's your kind of ambitions for the future? You know, is it is it about going into schools? Is it going about, you know, are you going to write a book? What What's your long term ambitions of of getting your the message out there as well as being on, you know, as being part of this podcast? Um, my long-term mission uh, at the moment um, is to get back operational, get out of the office yeah. um, and, and start actually making a difference in people's lives again yeah. um, through personal contact rather than over the phone. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I just want to grow old, uh, retire and uh, look after my family. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's about touching, it's about touching the hearts of the, of the community through you know open dialogue and and listening absolutely yeah so thanks for coming on and um you know I'd, yeah I'd, I'd like to at some point you know if it would be nice to have you on again maybe talk you know you, yeah. you know come up with a story or something that's gone you know you know it could be anything funny or anything something that you've gone through as a as 
you know, not yourself or, you know, funny stories from the, from the police force or whatever. Um, it'd be fantastic to, to, to hear them. So, you know, yeah, yeah, no worries. Thanks for having Anytime. me. You know, thanks for coming on, and um, I hope your message gets out. Gets out then. You know, I hope people in maybe even Parliament are hearing this. And, you know, I'd like to post this out to members of Parliament and, and just let them know that there's it's not just in the community um, that these things are happening, PTSD and, and all these, you know, depression, suicide. It's it's happening in in every facet of society. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. And, no worries. Um, well, that was Men Are Nots. Thanks, guys. <laughs>